Are critics of a recent article blaming the U.S. and NATO for the war in Ukraine accusing the paper it was published in of spreading propaganda and disinformation? Did members of parliament for the NDP withdraw their support for the paper based on principled opposition or political expediency? How is the paper upholding the principles of peace journalism and how are they resisting the pull of larger publications and broadcasters? Could the fate of this paper mark a rash of other attacks on publications and broadcasts featuring dissident opinions on a war supported by the official mainstream media narrative? This week on the Global Research News Hour, we discuss the article written by a global research contributor in the Winnipeg paper called Ethnorama News Winnipeg, which was raised by at least one member of the public and led to the end of sponsorship by two representatives of the left-leaning New Democratic Party, Leah Gazan and Daniel Blakey. In our first half hour, we speak to the author of the article, Dr. John Ryan, about the factual content on which it was based and the problems, from his point of view, with the NDP for appearing to coerce the two individuals to wash their hands of the magazine based on one article. Then we speak with Ethnorama Editorial Collective members Marianne Cirilli and Glenn Michaelchuk about their defense of the article and critical of U.S. NATO's role in the war, and also of the fundraising event scheduled for the 31st of March. On this week's program, free speech for peace, not supported by Stand with Ukraine. Bringing you the analysis beyond the media headlines, the Global Research News Hour is on the air. Welcome to the Global Research News Hour for the week of March 17, 2023. The program is funded by the Center for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg. I'm your host, Michael Welch. The show seeks to provide listeners with access to analysis of some of the major issues shaping our world today from thinkers, researchers, and unique political personalities rarely addressed by major media. Our shows are featured on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States and available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca. We acknowledge that this broadcast was produced on the traditional territory of the Nishinabe, Ininu, Ojikri, Dene, and Dakota, the birthplace of the Métis Nation and the heart of the Métis Nation homeland. The settler population and their descendants took advantage of the indigenous population who lived on the land for centuries through promises not kept and treaties not honored, and it is the settler's population's role to adapt to the cost of paying reparations for the injustices from which they benefited and restore respectful relations through a process of reconciliation. Now it's time for News Notes, a sampling of articles from the Global Research News site. Listeners should know that some of the articles may run against common messaging about sensitive subjects and are not all endorsed by this radio station. This ebook at the top left, click next, by Green McQueen, contains a collection of his articles and essays on the attacks of September 11, 2001, the subsequent anthrax attacks, and analyses of other false flag operations. They are profoundly important and shatter the official versions of those events. No one reading this book can come away from it not convinced that the U.S. government is a terrorist state. 
McQueen's conclusions are not based on rhetoric, but on a deep empirical analysis, facts, not propaganda. With this volume, Green McQueen takes his place alongside David Ray Griffin as a prophet without honor in his own time. That comes from the article, The Pentagon's B-Movie, Looking Closely at the September 2001 Attacks, by Edward Curtin and Professor Green McQueen, posted March 16th, originally published on the author's blog site, Behind the Curtain. The Street Fighters announced, We'll keep going, no matter what, ever, will happen. So it's definitely not about preventing a law that you don't see the point of. Here, the classic screenplay of a regime-change theater staged by the West is unfolding before our eyes. The current events in Tbilisi are strikingly similar to the fateful events on Kiev's Maidan Square in 2014. Here, the notorious travel circus of the pro-American regime change network is mercilessly striking. That comes from the article, Georgia protests, one more regime change, then Ukraine, now Georgia, by Herman Ploppa, posted March 15th. The collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank and the following spectacle in which the media blares out about a massive bank crisis without any hard figures for us to assess for ourselves, suggests that the parasite class is preparing for its war on money, the next step after COVID-19 of its war on citizens. After their destruction of the immune systems of Americans and the dumbing down of the minds of Americans, they are ready to take over money completely. Most likely, once all the banks are bankrupt, it will be easy to force-feed us a digital currency, but there may be other possible scenarios in store as well. I wanted to share in one place my five lectures on the topic Money is No Mystery to use the title of Charles E. Coughlin's famous speech of 1934, which I recite as the final speech here. That was from the introduction to his reposted five lectures under the heading Money is No Mystery Towards a Massive Bank Crisis by Emmanuel Pastrich, posted March 15th, originally published on Fear No Evil. Max Blumenthal and Isha Krishnaswamy wrote last April, the Ukrainian SBU Security Services has served as the enforcement arm of the officially authorized campaign of repression. With training from the CIA and close coordination with Ukraine's state-backed neo-Nazi paramilitaries, the SBU has spent the past weeks filling its vast archipelago of torture dungeons with political dissidents. As usual, qui bono should be considered, but we shouldn't expect the USG and its corporate propaganda media to draw obvious conclusions. Ukraine and the quote-unquote collective West need to sanitize Transnistria of its ethnic Russian population, the same as they are attempting to do in the Donbass and elsewhere in eastern and southern Ukraine. That comes from the article, CIA-SBU 
terrorize ethnic Russians in Transnistria by Kurt Nemo, posted March 15th, originally published on the author's blog site Kurt Nemo on Geopolitics. These are just a few of the featured articles appearing last week on the Global Research website. Regular visitors to the site are encouraged to send monetary contributions by fax, mail, or online. Just go to globalresearch.ca and click Donate on the menu bar. John Ryan is a retired professor of geography and a senior scholar at the University of Winnipeg. He wrote an article and had it reposted to Ethnorama News Winnipeg. The federal and provincial NDP caught wind of it and convinced two MPs to withdraw ads and support for the monthly paper. We thought we would get a response to the situation from the professor himself. He joins us now. As far as regular media watchers know, there was absolutely no provocation. Russia just moved in and tried to take over the country. People naturally come to the conclusion that Putin is a war criminal, a warmonger, and has lost his mind. Yet you say that the invasion by Russia against Ukraine, or or the special military operation, as they put it, was an example of Russia pushed into a corner by the U.S. and NATO. Could you briefly, for our listeners, explain what you mean by that? Well, she was... um... What it was, I don't even know where the heck to begin with this. Um, What happened, it goes back to 2014, when the elected government in Ukraine was overthrown with U.S. support, and they put in basically a neo-Nazi regime. And um, and, uh, uh, so then... the, the big problem was that in in Eastern, uh, this new regime, what, um, what created the problem is their first course of action was to basically outlaw the Russian language in any official usage. And, um, and here, uh, a quarter of uh, the population is of Russian background, and about 40% speak Russian. And suddenly they... All Russian media, everything is cut off. And so the people in the eastern Ukraine and Crimea uh, thought, well, we, we, can't, we can't deal with this. And here Ukraine then sent some of its people over to the Donbas region to actually try to form their own government. And, and the people there just sent them back to Kiev. And they said, you know, we... Um, uh, we're not to 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 outlaw our language is 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 something we will not agree to. Anyway, the point is that Ukraine then sent an army in, and the 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 war started in, in 2014. By 2015, the the the, the Russian the the, um, the Lugansk and Donetsk people forced the the Ukrainian army to basically to get to leave, and then the Minsk agreement. Um, Germany, France, and Russia uh, and dragged Ukraine in to, to, to Minsk in, in Belorussia to sign an agreement. And the agreement was very reasonable that this, these regions would belong to Ukraine, but they'd have a degree of autonomy, not unlike uh, Canadian provinces or U.S. states, in which they, they have a right to their language. That was the Minsk agreement. 
Ukraine refused to, to abide by this, had no intentions of doing it. And here recently, Merkel from Germany admitted that this was done simply to give Ukraine a chance to build up its army. So in any event, what triggered this war off a year ago is that Russia found out that the, the uh, Ukrainians had a, an army of 100,000 people uh, just on the border of Donetsk and Lugansk. And in mid-March of last year, a year ago, they were going to launch a massive blitzkrieg attack on this area. And, and it would have killed who knows how many thousands of people, and they were going to take this area over. Well, there was no, there was the only way to stop them, Russia then recognized these regions as independent states, and then they proceeded to help them in, in what was called, um, God, um, I forgot what it was called. Um, all in all, the point is that it wasn't a war, basically. It, uh, they, um, well, actually, I suppose it was a war. They uh, essentially uh, dealt with the Ukrainian army and uh, uh, stopped them from launching this attack. So this has now been going on for a whole year. Um, uh, okay. So you the that... thing that really triggered is that uh, Zelensky, shortly before this, was saying, we used to have nuclear weapons, we need them again to defend ourselves against Russia. Well, with such a situation, you know, if Ukraine gets nuclear weapons at five minutes, they could destroy Moscow. So these are the kinds, this is the background to, to what's happened. That's the situation. Yeah, you, you just said that there so, were 100,000 100, Ukrainian soldiers uh, preparing to move into the Donbass region as a, what do you say, a, a blitzkrieg? based on you said it's based on russian yeah. intelligence and and they they'd signaled yeah. this information to the un as well right as part of their article 51 clause of exactly. the UN charge. exactly exactly well, well, right. get, get to, to, just to get your your legal ducks in a row could, could you provide any documentation of this because that that will sound to to, to some of our listeners as as russian disinformation well, there's all kinds of. How can I? In my in my article, I have uh, I refer to the documents, so I, I can't. Uh, uh, right now, I, I don't know. Mm. I don't know who. Uh, at the moment, I can't recall who I who I. Uh, I don't have the article in front of me, Michael. So I, okay. I don't know who I cited, but in my article, I have the documentation for it. Okay. So if you read my article, you will see the documentation. Okay, well, certainly. Sorry um, about that. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, that was your first article. And then in November, you wrote a follow-up essay for, for Ethnorama News, uh, cr criticizing the New Democrats, yeah. Leah Gazan, and Daniel Blakey for pulling their sponsorship to the tune of, of hundreds of dollars in, in just a couple of months. Elie um, Gazan admitted publicly that she was anti-NATO in, in 2021, actually, and, and she, she wrote a line on Twitter last January, and, and I'll quote it, as a descendant of a Holocaust survivor, the Canadian government's $120 million of funding for an anti-Semitic neo-Nazi and fascist militia is horrifying. The rise of white supremacy and fascism is real. Time to stop the cowboy politics. Uh, that, that's, what, that's what she wrote. 
she only apologized later for not providing adequate context. But what, what do you think is going on here? Is the NDP scared of criticism or are they have are they are they taken over by a I don't know a, a Ukraine lobbying organization or, or is the USCC giving the uh, the NDP direction like how, how do you how, how does one go from that the position I just quoted to you know sort of washing their hands of this uh, of ethnorama news Michael, this goes back this goes back a long time. The NDP, in fact, I wrote several articles criticizing the NDP uh, years ago. Um, let me see. Excuse me. <clears throat> what they wound up doing is that they wound up supporting the U.S. in, in every which way and on a wide variety of, 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 of things. Um, and I, I wrote articles that are critical of this. And so... Um, I'm not overly surprised at this. I'm, um, I mean, they, they've, they've attacked. Um, let me see if I can recall. Oh, the point is that the federal NDP, ever since, especially since Jagmeet Singh got in, um, has been supportive of U.S. reactionary policies. And, and it's, it's not surprising uh, that that they, they've what they've now done with regard to Ukraine. Um, um, let me see. I mean, let me see. Historically, I don't know if we should go into this on a historical basis, but they. Um, the, the the point is that they wound up being critical of Russia, and they've always been critical of Russia. And, and um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Daniel, uh, Daniel Blakey recently has written an article very critical of Putin. The point is that Putin is not some kind of dictator. He has over 80% support of the Russian population. That's higher than any other uh, political leader in the world. And and um, uh, now with with the Ukraine issue, so the point is that the Russian people support what what is happening, and Russians are not stupid people. They have more um, uh, PhDs and, and and doctorates per capita than any other country in the world. So these are not stupid people. They know what's going on. So they are supporting uh, Putin's actions. Um, well, they could um, always argue, though, so that the... I, I guess one could always argue that maybe they're getting fed disinformation from the state. And so that this is maybe altering their perspectives, even of the, the very highly intelligent people. Is that something that the, they have access to, to? We have access to. And, and as I say, they're better educated than most other people. So, um, so they they are supporting Russian actions. The point is that they they look back at their own history. My God, they lost twenty seven million people fighting the Nazis in the Second World War. They don't want to be put in such a situation again. They lost twenty seven million people versus America that lost four hundred thirty thousand um, fighting both Japan and Germany. So. 
this is where, where Russia is coming from. They don't want to be put in such a situation again. That's the thing. Yeah, that's and for as far sure. As Ukraine is concerned. This yeah. I mean, uh, the yeah. Ukraine yeah. Is, is... yeah. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Kennedy had said something uh, basically, uh, Tim basically saluting what, what the Soviets did uh, in, in an old time speech in 1963. But, you know, I, I just to, to add another uh, dimension to this, um, there is the media and, and it's, uh, you know, what, what some might say is unfair, one sided coverage of the issues. Uh, and and it, could that be? Oh, where? Where am I well, going? well, with regard in to Russia the Russia uh, here, here in, in, in uh, where we are now. And uh, I mean, he's wondering, is, is, yeah, is right. that in some way directing the message of the NDP? It's like saying, well, we've, we've got to fight, like fighting on two fronts, you know, you know, getting all this sort of stuff while you're passing on disinformation. And like, how do you fight it? Say, no, it's not disinformation sort of thing. Uh, so talk about the role of the media in, in, in setting, you know, so so it's not just the, the NDP with their, uh, you know, you, what you view as a, a wretched history, but also fighting against the media as well. Well, it, frankly, the NDP just their policy is completely baffle me. Um, I think they're good in Manitoba, but federally, I don't understand what in the world has happened to them. Tommy Douglas, God, he must be turning over in his grave um, looking at the, the party. You know, they. Um, um, uh, it, it, it's, uh, it completely baffles me why they're, they're acting the way they're doing now. I, I don't understand it. I, um, it. And Leah Gazan and Daniel Blakey, at first she told people in Ethnorama that it was the Ukrainian Congress in, in Ottawa that informed them about my article. And that they had, they had, they, they didn't want to support my, my views on this issue. And then she later she backs off this. And so who knows what happened? The point is that the Ukrainian um, national, Ukrainian uh, whatever Congress it's called, uh, somehow had an effect on the federal NDP. And um, and if not, that's that's even worse if that's the case. If they did it themselves, I don't understand their their policy. Um, I, I I simply don't understand it. Well, I, I'm just saying that uh, you know the uh, the it seems to go way beyond even what we see in terms of criticism of the state of Israel for 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 the uh, uh, you know, the criminal activities against the Palestinian population, but uh, exactly, know, it, yeah, and, and is. Not a word from, not yeah. a word from the NDP about that. Yeah, you know, well, what, what about the media though? Is, is this part of the matrix of of? Are they part of the the matrix of marginalizing publications like Ethnorama News when it comes to attacking the the pro war narrative that they set? Yeah, it's 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 a. Uh... It's completely baffling to me, Michael. I don't understand how the NDP has regressed in such a terrible manner. You have, uh, is there potentially something 
that uh, intelligent intelligence companies, including the CIA and the MI6, are are actively trying to conceal, uh, because you know good journalism, peace journalism, is a threat to the war narrative that they are determined to undertake. Uh, I mean, right. do, do you know anything about that? No. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I I don't know, Michael. Don't know everything. <laughs> I don't know how to. All I know is what a tragic state of affairs. Um, the the situation now. Um, I mean, for them to try to somehow uh, uh, try to take this area back, um, like Crimea, for instance. After 2014, when they found out that they were going to outlaw Russian language. They had a referendum. 83% of the people turned out for the referendum. 97% of the people wanted to leave Ukraine and join Russia. And meantime, the West and the media here is that Russia annexed this area that has took, took it over by force. Uh, these people desperately wanted to leave the Ukraine with its particular policies. In, in fact, you know, this... This whole area of eastern Ukraine, Lugansk, uh, Donetsk, and, and Crimea, this goes back a thousand years. These were Russia, part of, the, of Russia. And it was in, in the uh, early years of, of Lenin. Actually, Lenin acted on this in, in 1921. Um, they, they looked at Ukraine, and here Ukraine at that time has nothing but agricultural land. And here Donetsk, Lugansk, they had iron ore, coal, all kinds of minerals, hydropower. And so Lenin assigned this area to Ukraine back in 1921, although the majority of the people had been Russians going back for a thousand years. And <clears throat> throughout the days of the Soviet Union, they were part of Ukraine, but it was okay. And so long as they could have their own language and so forth, no problem. But it was after 2014 <clears throat> when these neo-Nazis decided that, um, uh, no, these, the, the, these people had to be done away with. Anyways, um, I've forgotten what my line of thought was here. Well, maybe you could just conclude with uh, basically under helping us understand. I mean, in all the wars that you've watched uh, throughout your life, and I, I believe your memories go back to World War II. Uh, but you oh, know, yeah. of of all of these wars, I mean, have you any ever seen the level of uh, uh, of redirection of of media towards the war effort? Anything on this scale that, that compares to what you're going through now, where you're actually being smeared uh, yourself as a as a disinformation artist and all the rest of it? I mean, can, can you say I, anything I've about that? Anything like I've never seen anything like it. You know, that's during the Second World War, we were supportive of Russia for heaven's sake, and uh, and and then, of course, there was a standoff. And when they when they convinced uh, uh, Gorbachev <clears throat> uh, that um, uh, if if Russia um, left uh, all these um, Eastern European countries, 
that the uh, so-called NATO would never move one inch towards Russia. And so Russia agreed to it. And this, this was just, they completely ignored it, and all these countries got sucked into NATO. And so this is what's been happening. They've, um, um, it's, uh, I've forgotten who was, has called it. It's an empire of lies, as far as Russia is concerned. So they've never played properly with Russia at any time. So that's the situation. Terrible state of affairs. I, 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 I think what's going to happen, my feelings on this, is that uh, these areas that are Lugansk, Donetsk, and uh, the other areas, I think Russia is going to move its army and take um, uh, Odessa and this entire area. So that will become part of the, of the Russian state. And, um, and Ukraine will, will simply be left without this area. Um, that's providing the Americans don't decide to, to really move in uh, with additional force against them. Okay. I think Dr. it's game over for Ukraine. Okay. Dr. Ryan, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much, Michael. Thank you. We've been speaking with John Ryan, a retired professor of geography and senior scholar at the University of Winnipeg. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, broadcasting from CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and from partnering radio stations across Canada and the United States. Okay, so the uh, to, to discuss the uh, the follow up to the recent articles in the Ethnorama News Winnipeg, the the controversy. Uh, and a new fundraising event at the end of March. We're joined by two members of their editorial collective. Uh, Marianne Cirilli is a parent. She's been a government employee, a high school guidance counselor, a member of the Legislative Assembly of Manitoba, uh, a community development worker and community organizer, as well as a college instructor and uh, university contact contract faculty. And uh, frequent guest Glenn Michaelchuk is chair of Peace Alliance Winnipeg and directs the Association of United Ukrainian Canadians, a Manitoba branch. Uh, welcome to both of you. Um, Thank so you, first, Michael. Yeah. So, uh, Marianne, uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about the history of Ethnorama News. I mean, when did it start and, and who was involved? Yeah, it started uh, around 2019, and it's basically um, mostly initiated by Latino activists, uh, Hispanic activists, who want to see coverage of issues in that part of the world, South America, Central America, covered uh, in in uh, for local local consumption. And it's got sort of a uh, a run of about three thousand copies per issue, and um, they they publish a monthly uh, printed version and then online. And um, I've been you know writing a column um, pretty regularly for most of that time, um, and it's pretty open. I basically get to write about what I think is important and 
you know, I really don't see it until it comes out. And I'm really not sure who else is writing for it or what what's going going to come out of it or go into it until I uh, get the copy. Mm. Yeah, well, you talk about celebrating uh, the voices of, of ethnic uh, Canadians and, and, and newcomers in Winnipeg. And uh, I guess part of that means getting unique uh, political content as well, correct? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, I think it definitely has a perspective. And I think that's the thing is all media has a perspective. It's a matter of being upfront and honest about what that perspective is. And, um, you know, the, um, the idea that there's impartiality. So, you know, and I think a lot of media consumers don't realize that there's a difference between investigative journalism and news reporting and writing a column. So when you write a column, you can give your opinion. But when you're covering the news, it's not supposed to be someone's opinion. It's supposed to be facts. So there's um, there's uh, the coverage that can be, you know, um, considered uh, opinion pieces, which are which are in Ethnoram. Mm. The the essay recently. It doesn't applied... mean. It... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say it doesn't mean that those opinion pieces don't have factual information that they're not made up. So you know we can get into talking about what the the piece in particular that um, caused uh, the the stir uh, related yeah. to the war in Ukraine. Yeah, well, of course, we're, t we're talking ab about the the, the, re the essay re recently written by John Ryan, well, not recently, but published in September, uh, and, and it sparked controversy and outrage, apparently. Uh, Glenn, there's been much banter, apparently, among Ukrainian uh, Canadians that this essay was hurtful to Ukrainians, uh, but as a member of Peace Alliance, you could similarly say that that kind of message about your alternative positions to the mainstream stance on Venezuela or Syria are similarly uh, you know, damaging to a, a people. But as a, as a Ukrainian Canadian, how do you react to this kind of message that people in the Ukrainian diaspora uh, are, are putting out? Well, I mean, it's consistent with some of the messaging around this war and some of the the driving forces, the political driving forces behind this war. So when you look at it, there is a section of the Ukrainian uh, Canadian community, which has been very much um, very much in favor of of this war in Ukraine because it's a war that they see as being a war essentially against Russia. So there's nothing controversial in, in, from my, in my opinion, there's nothing controversial in John Ryan's article. In fact, John Ryan's article is is part of the, the information that's been coming forward from many sources, uh, from many different writers, from many different analysts, which is pointing to the causes of the war. So these are objective facts. And they can't be described as hurtful. They can't be described as uh, as anything that's misinformation or disinformation. Mm. So part of the part of the way that this war 
at least public opinion has been shaped in Canada is actually through just just that question of disinformation and misinformation. So I think that when you when you hear that a section of the Ukrainian Canadian community is responding in this way to either John Ryan's article or some other article or some others, uh, the remarks of of uh, maybe speakers in 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 events and so on. And you have to ask, what is the question? Uh, what is their motivation for responding in this way? What do they take issue with? What is what is the what are what are the wrong facts that they're they're alleging uh, are the basis of either John Ryan's article or anybody's article? There was recently a um, an event at the an Ottawa University uh, on the uh, question of what are the paths to peace in Ukraine, and similarly to uh, the kind of attack that was launched on on John Ryan's article, the same attack was launched on that, uh, saying that it was um, simply a Russian uh, front for Russian propaganda, that this was hurtful to the Ukrainian Canadian uh, students on, at the university. Um, so it's the same response. But the question is, uh, what are the facts behind these articles? Are they truthful? You know, do they uh, do they bear scrutiny? And if they do, then then they are they are uh, they are facts about this war. And so I think when you talk about someone's reaction to this column of John Ryan's, you do have to ask what is their motivation for doing this. And I would say their motivation is because they are worried that it it does bring facts to light, facts which have not been discussed in the main Canadian media. Mm. Yeah, well, well, do you have any any uh, like what what's your 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 just to check uh, in terms of sourcing what like what's your basis for saying for example of uh, talking about uh, the, the building up of Nazis and and Canada selling uh, in uh, weapons to 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 Nazis in Ukraine. Well, that that wasn't uh, documented just by uh, John Ryan. I mean, that was the in that instance. There's been actual reports in the mainstream media of the close relationship of uh, Nazi formations within the Ukrainian army, their their supply of weapons. Uh, it was documented that Canadian military instructors had actually provided training to the Azov Battalion. And the Azov Battalion is one of these organizations the, the, whose links to uh, far-right uh, Nazi ideology have been demonstrated. So there is a basis for these. Uh, when there is a basis for these assertions, there is a basis for trying to understand what is the what is the motivation to what's going on in Ukraine and what are the various political forces at work in Ukraine because that's important. And it's not to say that all Ukrainians. Ukrainians within Ukraine support these politics. They don't, but there is a definite, uh, there is a definite political force at work in Ukraine. Marianne, Marianne, you talk in in one of your articles or you know, essays about ethical consideration of reporting on on war and talk about offering a peace journalism. I mean, define the principles you uphold and and how they seem not to be upheld in the mainstream media. Oh, you're you're muted. This is really important, and I think it's um, 
important to emphasize that a, there is a peace position and that we can be advocating for peace without and being pro-peace without being pro-Putin or pro-Russia. And it's very dangerous when uh, peace activists or others, citizens, who are trying to understand and find a path to peace are kind of vilified in that way and saying that you're just, you know, succumbing to Russian propaganda or you're believing in conspiracy theories or, you know, you're you're somehow naive. Um, and that that's kind of the the narrative that's coming from the coverage in the mainstream media. And, you know, the um, there's sort of a, a dueling narrative now one side saying that this is an unprovoked attack uh, by Russia against Ukraine and others sort of saying that uh, Russia was provoked and they were backed into a corner and they were left with very little options. And I just put a link into the chat by an article written in January of 2022 by Bill Blakey before he passed away, how the West made Putin possible. And it it also outlines some of these same uh, concerns and that we have to uh, make sure that the media coverage, getting back to your question about what is ethical journalism when you're covering a war, is to make sure that the coverage is considering these points of view that are advocating for peace and that we're not just manufacturing consent and support for the war. And, um, you know, the discussions that we're having in groups like the the Peace Alliance Winnipeg, as well as um, the groups in, in working on Ethnorama, that's what we're talking about, is ensuring that, um, you know, the war isn't covered like a sporting event where there's no historical context. There's no sort of his, uh, political context. It's just, you know, keeping score of body counts and attacks and advancement. And we lose the understanding of why is this happening? Who is benefiting? And ultimately, how do we resolve this and de-escalate and find a path to peace? So with regard to the decision by members of the NDP not not to support you any longer, what's the story there? Leah Gazan was until recently a major supporter of Ethnorama. She was a guest of honor at last year's event back in April, and, and she's written articles in it. And, and, and were, were Leah Gazan and, and Daniel Blakey, were they instructed? Uh, were, they, were they ordered by the NDP or, or did they just have it explained, and then they just decided to, okay, we're going to withdraw our support. But what are you, you know, we're out? trying to get to the bottom of that. Uh, we're trying to get to the bottom of that, and we have uh, meetings being arranged with uh, Leah. I've talked to her a few times about this, and, um, you know, it's, it's disconcerting to me that we don't have a voice in the Canadian Parliament taking a peace position and calling for uh, caution in spending billions and billions of dollars in arming uh, Ukraine, and we don't know where those weapons are going. Um, there's a lot of concern of that, you know, we have 
a shortage of funds going into housing and healthcare and healing people who are sick. And we're, we're, we're being um, pressured through our NATO connection to continue to uh, increase military spending. So, you know, I've been a lifelong member of the NDP and I, I want to see the party talking about those issues, raising them in parliament and, and being that voice for peace. And um, that's, that's what we're going to be talking about well I, I i maybe i'm, I'm a bit of supposition here but i mean it is essentially internal in the ndp right i mean this like this change of thought i mean this was coming from inside the ndp right i don't know mm. exactly what the yeah. story is we need to meet with them uh mm. with a group to kind of hear because um it it it's uh keep getting different versions of what led up to that um, removal of their support. And, you know, I mean, I think that uh, elected officials, they get to decide how they're going to um, allocate resources that they have. And, um, you know, we just want kind of an honest answer. And, and it's not even, it, I'm more concerned now about the the positions that are being taken um you know ethnorama is having a fundraiser will will they can raise money um i just want a straight answer and want to see uh a peace position being advocated for okay and then glenn i'm sure i mean I, I i don't expect that you know either but do you think that maybe this has to do with political expediency on the part of the ndp or, or you know principled refusal to participate in in what appears to be disinformation well again i i don't know what their their reasons for this are i mean and that's that's i think is important to get the um the explanation um from those directly involved um as to these quite like we know we know that there is a great deal of censorship being uh being imposed around the question of the war censorship in terms of views and so nothing would surprise me in terms of the motivations of political parties the motivations of uh, newspapers the, the motivations of tv and radio media because there's been a definite uh position within canada uh and within the NATO countries as a whole on how to report on this war. And the reporting, if anyone can look at the mainstream media and see how the reporting has been, the reporting has been essentially pro-war reporting. The reporting has um, not looked into the questions of the war it's, uh, and why it happened, or, or did initially. But then those storylines were very quickly dropped because mm -hmm. and, and one should ask why. But I think the reason they were dropped was because they showed that there was uh, there was, as Marianne said, this historical reason for the war. There was a context for this war. So we do know that the mainstream media has been playing a role in um, um, in, in manufacturing the, the ideas as to why this war is necessary, why it has to be pursued. We know that the political parties uh, have been under intense pressure from a section of the Ukrainian Canadian community that is uh, influential in terms of its links into uh, the Canadian government and is influential in terms of its its politics, in terms of um, 
its attitude towards uh, towards Russia. And they have been lobbying intensely in the uh, in the Canadian Parliament uh, for their views. And if you go back to um, a year ago in January, when the take note debate was held, and if you were to read through that Hansard, you would see that these views are all about the need to confront Russia, the need for this battle, this war uh, of uh, democracy against uh, autocracy, all these things that have been repeated in the in the mainstream press. That was heard in the uh, in the debate in Parliament. And I was contacted by MPs who were telling me that they were receiving this, uh, this extreme pressure from uh, an organization of the of Ukrainian Canadians to take these positions. Mm. So, uh, so I, I think that very much so that there's more to this story than uh, meets the eye. And I think if someone has a principled objection to um, John Ryan's article or anyone's article, then they should just lay it out in a counter piece in, that would be published where they can refute these things. That's the way you have the debate and the discussion where you, if, if you say certain facts are wrong, you refute those facts. You don't, uh, you don't try and um, censor them or you don't try and undermine a publication by uh, withdrawing support for it. So the members of, of your group, uh, there are people in there who are themselves NDP uh, members. Uh, and I know when, when the icons, uh, you know, NDP representatives turn their backs on you uh, for whatever reason, I mean, some of the members of the group must also be having some doubts. I mean, will Ethnorama News survive without the same funding and other supports? I think well, so. I mean, it, there's there's lots of um, magazines that rely on donations, and I think that uh, you know we'll be able to raise other revenue sources, including this uh, event that we're having at the end of the month. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, I think, also about sort of alliance building. And now what's emerged is this um, free speech for peace uh, alliance or initiative, you know, and, and um, uh, I, I think you know, what I've said is almost every war that we have, eventually there's information and evidence that comes out that there were false pretexts to support, you know, invasions and the war and escalation and arms. And I think that that's going to happen in this case eventually as well. And it's already like they're already because we now have the Internet, there are lots of uh, sources. And I think you know, what I try have tried to do is to weigh um, and watch both mainstream coverage as well as read some of the information on alternative. Um, and what bothers me is to see a sort of a, a, a political pandering that uh, occurs because people are afraid of being on the wrong side uh, when when it became so clear that the media and so much of the Canadian establishment was 
on the side of the war. Um, so, you know, it's, um, there, 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 there's a real need to have a group like, uh, or a pu publication like Ethnorama that can, um, lay out al alternative views and that protect our free speech, like to say that if, if it's very dangerous for, uh, talking about peace to become, um, something that's censored, but that's not un unusual in war. Like I, I've read a lot about Thich Nhat Hanh, who just passed away, a Buddhist monk that was in exile in France during uh, the Vietnam War, because once he went to the United States and he spoke out, he 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 would have been um, probably lost his life if he went back to Vietnam. So he then became, you know, someone that is uh, seen as a as a guiding light for a lot of activists. And, um, you know, the, the same thing is happening now. Okay, well, why don't you talk about the event coming up on March thirty first? I mean, what's is the, what, what's going to be on? Is, what, the date is March thirty first, correct? That's correct. Okay, March thirty first at the uh, on on Pritchard, the Ukrainian Labor Temple. That's yes. Okay, the so event on... begins at six p.m. Mm -hmm. and uh, tickets are twenty dollars. And it's uh, as as Marianne said, it's a fundraising event. But there will be uh, short speeches, poetry, music, songs. So it's a you know an engaging evening, both of um, political discussion, but also of um, cultural and and other presentations. Okay. Uh, any chance that uh, Leah will be there, or <laughs> maybe not? <laughs> I wonder if she's been given an invitation. Hmm. You know, I can do that. Like I, yeah. I, you know, I'm still in conversation with her, and yeah. like I said, we um, we are planning to meet with her. She invited us to meet with her, and um, same with Daniel Blakey. Like, you know, I recently went to the inaugural um, lecture in honor of his father at the University of Winnipeg, and um, you know, I want to keep those lines of communication open that's the point is to protect the relationships and dialogue and to have conversations and uh not allow polarization or you know rifts and um that kind of uh um marginalization to to occur so that's uh that's part of what i'm i'm continuing to do okay well, um, with that said, I, I guess I'd like to just thank you both for your time and uh, I guess uh, wish you well in the days ahead. I guess Ethnorama in a way is kind of like the, the print equivalent of CKUW with you know, the voices of the community uh, being able to pronounce themselves. So thanks a lot. Thank you, Michael. Thanks, Mike. We've been speaking with Marianne Cirilli and with Glenn Michaelchuk in Winnipeg. Global Research News Hour felt the need to get a couple of other voices to get their take on the Ethnorama news situation. I reached out to Leah Gazan earlier this week. As of the time this goes to air, she has not responded. I also reached out to a professor of history at the University of Winnipeg for an opinion countering Dr. Ryan's article and viewpoint. He responded with an email which read as follows. 
If you want to discuss Ryan's brain poop, I suggest that you invite a psychiatrist, not a historian of Ukraine. Stand with Ukraine. With sentiments like that, I should add a few remarks. Professor John Ryan, as I mentioned, is not only a professor of geography at the University of Winnipeg and a senior scholar of this institution. In studying for his PhD at McGill, Dr. Ryan specialized in the economic and political geography of the USSR. He then taught courses on the USSR for more than 30 years at the University of Winnipeg. Longtime listeners of my show will remember John as someone who had traveled to Afghanistan in the late 70s doing fieldwork on agriculture, and he described aspects of the country that most people aren't aware of, that for a time, brief time before the Soviet invasion triggered by the creation of the Mujahideen and the Islamic extremists created under the guidance of Zbigniew Brzezinski, the country was progressive, social, and democratic. He went there in November of 1978. Six months earlier, the people protesting on behalf of farmers demonstrated against the corrupt government which was protecting the landlords and controlling most of the territory, leaving the bulk of the landless peasants barely enough grain to feed their family. The army came to the people's support, threw the government out of power, and replaced them with Marxists that they released from prison. The Marxists were the only ones who had any kind of plan for land reform and progressive economic and social reforms. Ryan reported that this indigenous realization took place without the support of the Soviets and then um, enters the Mujahideen to return things to the delightful results of the Islam extremism and, and war that would not compromise the capitalist plan of the U.S., and he published the story uh, of Afghanistan nearly 30 years later on Global Research. Maybe members of the public, the NDP, and fellow academics who disagree with him might wish to debate him and his ideas rather than just dismiss him. That's the show for this week. Next week, we're talking about Iraq and the changes to the country 20 years after shock and awe. Be there in seven days. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, a program funded by the Center for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe, Ininu, Ojikri, Dene, and Dakota, the birthplace of the Métis Nation and the heart of the Métis Nation homeland. The show airs on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States and is available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca. To leave feedback on this program, please email globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. I've been your host, Michael Welch. Thanks once again for joining us.